0: The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today.
1: Holly, we've had so many opportunities to talk with people about in the hills and valleys of life. They ask that question, God, my, why me? Why am I put into this situation? I remember hearing people saying things like, you don't know the things that I've done. Or how can God love me for my past? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so great that we have an opportunity to talk with uh, Pastor Mayo so well today. My friend, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. I mean, I and Johnny, it's, it's, a, you know, it's an honor to be here. And that is a good question. And, but I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We In 21 days of praying, fasting, starting 2023 off, close to Jesus, and I'm hungry.
0: I was going to (laughs) say, do you remember your last meal?
2: (laughs) I was like six days ago.
0: No fasting Uh, for me. I get hangry. I yell at people. Uh You know, God's not done with me yet. And he knows I have to fast in small increments.
2: I'm on the other side of that now where nothing affects me. It's like whatever. We like to ask the
1: skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. And that is, uh, who are you and where did you come from?
2: I'm male, so well, and I was born in Los Angeles, California, and my parents left California in the late '80s, and we migrated to Louisiana, and grew up in Louisiana, very rural, rural country town. You know, so you had so you had this mixture of city, big city LA, now it's Louisiana, the other LA, and it did not match. So it was a culture <laughs> shock, and then my parents, you know, they had you know they, their marriage wasn't you know centered around Christ, so it ended in a divorce. My mom and I and the rest of my siblings, which was three of us, we went and stayed in a hotel in Ohio, ran for my dad, stayed in Ohio, a hotel, two of us, no, six of us in a bedroom, like mm-hmm. just my mom didn't have a job. So we stayed in a hotel for a year. And didn't end up coming to Birmingham, Alabama. And I was around 14 at the time. And that's when a guy was helping me learn how to play basketball. I never played sports. So he ended up helping me play basketball. And I fell in love with basketball, started playing basketball. Then a high school coach said, hey, try football. Oh and I was good at football. I just picked it up. Ended up getting a scholarship from that to Auburn University. After Auburn University, ended up going to the NFL, Buffalo Bills, closer to you guys, and ended up going to Buffalo. <laughs> and after Buffalo uh, tore my ACL, I migrated back to Atlanta and started selling drugs, selling drugs for five, six, six years. And then it landed me in prison facing a life sentence. Ended up going to prison for five years. And I met Jesus my fourth year of prison. Fast forward to tape. I get out of prison and I say, I want to introduce the people to the Jesus that I met at my lowest point. And that led my wife and I on a church planning journey. And now we're 14 weeks in a brand new church back in Atlanta, the city that you used to sell drugs in. We're back in Atlanta preaching the gospel in the church called Live Atlanta, because we believe God wants this city to live just like he wants us to live. That's a little bit about who I am. And that's kind of what I'm doing and where I'm from.
0: Amazing. I was going to say similar start. You know, I also very similar situation. I tore my ACL, but I, I wasn't a big time athlete. I was just a kid yeah. playing.
2: Not
1: at all.
0: Yeah. So then I was like, I guess it stops right there. No, it's
2: not similar at all. Other than you ACL. have knees. <laughs> hey bro, I thought she was about to say, yo, I used to be locked up and you know what I'm saying yeah. then I met Jesus on my ninth <laughs> year and now I'm here.
0: Yeah, my ninth year of in prison, and yeah. uh, God is good. Holly,
2: I thought you was about to go there. I was like, yo,
0: <laughs>
2: are you serious? He's got a past.
0: Uh, I did play football, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. There we go. Come there you go. go.
1: The, only, the only drug she ever sold was she gave me a Tylenol PM once, but.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, in the morning, um, so he was sleepy all day.
1: Uh,
2: extra strength.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> For somebody who wasn't introduced in t- to football until high school, was there a realization that, oh, my goodness, I am that good and I could probably, you know, play college, play professionally? Or was that kind of a dream that you're like, I don't think this would ever happen?
2: Crazy thing, you know, it was the 90s. So, it, it, I mean, my prayer was always I want to make this the NBA. Mm. Because, you know, culturally, I watched Allen Iverson. And that was a, like a role model. You know, Allen Iverson, I'm like, man, I want to play an NBA. I want to be like him. Yeah. Didn't they have football on my mind. But because I excelled at basketball, football came natural. Just the instincts, the intuitiveness. And my coach was like, bro, you need to take this serious because you're short. You know, I was 6'1". He's like, it's going to be hard to make it. And I was always, I was strong. And he's like, bro, you might need to take football serious. You got a longer future. And when we moved to Alabama, that's when they was like, yo, you're good. And I'm mm-hmm. like, bro, I catch a ball. I tackle people. Like, that's easy. What are you talking about? I'm good. That's what I'm supposed to do. And he's like, no, yeah. you're good. That's when it became a reality. You know, all schools, all schools in the South started to recruit me. I excelled to the top of the list as the number one linebacker in the United States. Well, like top five in the United States. But yeah, that's when it became a reality. And I was like, well, let's take this football thing. Not that I love football. I love basketball. But I mean, it it could have paid the bills and it paid for education. So I did it.
1: We've had a chance to talk with to athletes who knew Jesus when they were in the midst of You know, in their college career, their professional career. You don't know Jesus until later on. What's life like going through becoming a professional athlete Mm -hmm. where, you know, I mean, theoretically, girls and money could be the number one and two thing rather than
2: Jesus. For me, you know, uh, and I always say this now, even now as a pastor, knowing Jesus is always on a scale, Mm. it's a progression. So the Jesus that I knew when I was young was the Jesus that my grandmother introduced me to. Mm-hmm. So it was a third party Jesus. It wasn't a personal Jesus. So I sat at the table with Jesus and my grandmother. Mm. She whispered to Jesus and she told me what Jesus said. So I didn't have the intimate relationship. Yeah. So as I went into the NFL, I didn't have that sit one-on-one with Jesus. So my priority was finances. It was money. I needed money. And then, of course, it was platform. It was those two. Finances and platform. I needed money to fuel my platform. I needed a platform to keep fueling my money. So it became cyclical. So now NFL's away from me. I'm like, yo, how do I continue to create this cyclical platform and it'll sell drugs. But Jesus was not in the picture, bro. It was strip clubs, gambling, hanging out. It was, it was whatever it took to, to keep that cyclical platform of influence and finance, influence and finance, influence and finance. So and it just led me man like it left feel bad.
0: Why sell drugs? I mean as an athlete wasn't there other yeah. options that were available to you?
2: Yes, it and it's crazy. I hope athlete is not listening to this like getting, like, inspiration. <laughs> that's not my hope. <laughs> like, is, like you know, his testimony would be me tea. Man, why'd you so sell drugs? Bro, man, I was listening to these. I just tuned in <laughs> to this show. Like, that's not, that's not what I'm <laughs> So, for, for me, you know, um, you know, selling drugs, I tried real estate, but real estate had a duration of time. You had to take the test. You had to go back to school. So, mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I can't do that. I tried, you know, I tried getting into pharmaceutical sales. You had to take the test for that, go back to school. I'm like, man. So what happens is I didn't have that window of two years to become nobody to become somebody. So I'm like, I'm already somebody. I need Mm. to go straight into being somebody. So doing real estate, doing pharmaceutical sales, doing a startup, you got to be nobody. And what really the real big answer to that now that I'm saying it out loud to you, it was pride. Mm. I couldn't go to the bottom and serve somebody and let God exalt me. I couldn't do it. I wanted to stay on the top of the pedestal that man built for me. So the quickest way to stay on the top of the pedestal was, hey, go get this bag and this bag will create this and you will still be up there. Because in some places, some, you know, I would say uh, urban cities, a drug dealer is kind of glorified. If you listen Mm -hmm. to rap music, if you listen to pop culture right now, a drug dealer is glorified. So if I was deemed as a drug dealer, I would still stay in a glorified life. So that was the transition for me. I just thought it was an easy transition, not knowing that the federal government would be on the other side waiting for me. Yeah, and they found me. So that was that. That's me, Holly. You know, if yeah. I can say that.
1: When I'm driving and I speed, I'm always looking over my shoulder. I'm like, I'm gonna get caught. I'm hundred yeah. percent. I know that this this is the day that this is gonna happen. <laughs> Did you have that feeling when you were doing these things, or was there an invincibility that ain't nobody gonna catch me?
2: Great question. Yes and no. I thought more about the retaliation from being in that circle from my peers than more of the legal system. Hmm. Legal system, I was 27, 26, 25. I was in those ages. So I'm like, I can take it on the legal system. I can go through 10 years. I'll be back. I'll be 35. But what I didn't, you know, what I didn't anticipate and what I wasn't prepared for was the retaliation from people that you're doing those things with. That could be life or death any day. So, yes, getting caught from the government or the police. I was kind of looking on my shoulder. I knew that was inevitable. But hey, let me try to push it as far as I can, take it as far as I can go. But over there was really the big one.
0: Well, then you do get caught. You do go to jail and you have a miraculous encounter. And can you yeah. share a little bit about that journey going into prison? And then how yeah. were you introduced to the first party Jesus?
2: I was in Arizona doing a deal. It was the DEA. I was doing a deal with it. I didn't. I was like, oh, my oh. goodness, I didn't know it. Yeah, like it was literally DAs. It's like, yeah, whoops, big whoops. <laughs> It's we're not just, like they have it, DEA on their chest. Yeah,
0: I know, but still, it's kind of like. The, no,
2: but the rest of them did. Not the one that I was talking to, he did. Right?
1: It's
2: <laughs> like, man, why not? give you give you a heads I'm up? Mad. Yeah, just let me know, bro. You know, so uh, which, it, you know, now looking back, that was the best, biggest whoops ever. I call it the BB, the biggest and best mistake ever. End up going to prison right there, facing minimum of 10 to life. The judge, you know, Judge Carroll, he ended up giving me five years. I made it under my mandatory minimum because I was a first time offender and I had a college degree. And he said, you male, I believe you made a mistake. For some reason, now that I look back, I knew that was the Holy Spirit. He said, for mm. some reason, something is telling He said this in court. It's crazy. It's on record. For some reason, something is telling me that you're going to get it right. And in my mind, I was like, well, Judge, I'm going to go in here and sleep and try to get a better idea and a better connect. That's what I was saying to myself. I go in, and I did that for four years. I was thinking of how I could strategize and do it better, my mistakes, like talking to the other guys that was in there with me for four years straight. And the guy, a guy walked up to me one day. It was a white guy. And in prison, you know, racial lines don't really mix. Mm. So he walked up to me and he said, "Uh, can I pray for you? At that time, I was a practicing Muslim. He opened his eyes and he prayed for me, put his hands on my shoulders. Everything went cold turkey. I went back to my unit and I laid in the bed. What is going on? My taste wasn't the same. The things that I desired, it just wasn't the same. And I felt it and experienced it. Within those first few hours, so I went back to him the next day and I said, "Yo, what did you do to me?" He said, "That's God's hand on your life. He has an enormous call on your life." And I said, "Really?" I said, "Okay, let's talk about it tomorrow." I go back to sleep, thinking it's going to wear off. It intensifies. I said, "Okay, let's let's lean towards what are you talking about?" And he sat down and he mentored me and he taught me the Bible. It was his—he he was there for 14 years. It was his last six months of prison he spent with me, and he was there on an assignment because he was from Florida. That was the assignment that he said he was on. And it's my best friend to this day. He introduced me to the me at the table Jesus, breaking bread Jesus, giving the cup of wine Jesus, like he and I, that I still talk to to this day.
0: Making such a dramatic change in prison, uh, was it difficult now existing in prison that you had such a a 180 moment?
2: Yeah, um, you know, in prison, you can't ride a fence. Either you're blood or you're crip. Either, mm. either, you're, either you're a Christian or you're Muslim. Either mm. you're a Hindu or you, you're just a nun, whatever. And I just, just look at the wisdom of God, that God would reach me in somewhere where you have to be polarizing. So now I was in a polarizing environment, so I had to have a polarizing faith and a polarizing transformation. And now it just made me to a point where I had to turn my back against the world, like seriously, because you couldn't flirt in there. Because if you flirt, it's dangerous. It can, it could can be fatal. So yes, it it was a polarizing decision that I had to make. I had to come I come. I had to come out of the Nation of Islam. I had to turn my back on the streets. I had to cut all my connects off that I had outside in Atlanta. All the inside business that I was doing, that I was going outside, I had to cut it off right then. All the girls that was coming to visit me, I had to cut them off right then. I had to make this decision, and it was quite. It was. It was. You know, it was quite uh, aggressive. And I, I did it, and it served me It served me well.
1: For somebody who is in prison for five years, getting out, uh, was there excitement? Well, I mean, I, I, obviously there's excitement, but was there fear of messing up again? Was there also uh, excitement about the unknown? Because now you have this relationship with Jesus.
2: It was fear, but I heard God's voice. I, w- I was able to hear God's voice enough and know not to go back to Atlanta. And now when I went home to Birmingham with my parents— I was sort of insulated and I could continue the just polarizing transformational journey with Jesus right there with my parents, because now I had to build new relationships. So in the wisdom of God, he put me right there with my parents down the street from a life-giving church, where now I had a new community around me to help insulate me with the values and the culture that I knew that was created in, in prison. And then when I was strong enough, durable enough, which was six years later, then I was able to go to Atlanta to visit some of the friends that I played football with and they could see a new male. Hmm. But it took eight years for me to come back here on my own and reside here.
0: I'd like that you share that because we live in a day and age where it's instant gratification. If you can't figure it out in a day or two, then you might as well just throw it to the wayside. And so for you, eight year journey to get to a point where you were strong. At what point did you uh, meet your life partner?
2: I met her when I was in the streets. When I was when I was hustling, we met in a nightclub after a basketball game in Atlanta and Mm -hmm. Kai. And she ended up when I went when I went to prison, she wrote me a letter and said, I just want you to know you're not damaged goods. So, yeah, she's you know, she's a great young woman from Philly, graduated from Temple and. Her and I, we just, you know, we just had this relationship from prison. So when I get saved in prison, she starts going to church also. So now we start going on this journey together. And when I get out, I got married to her. And that's when she moved to Birmingham. And then we moved back to Atlanta. But she knew, we knew each other pre-Christ. So every day we look at a witness. She look at me, it's a witness of God's goodness. I look at her, it's a witness of God's goodness. Because we we, we was in it together. And we came out of it together.
1: Sometimes you hear it in a whisper. Sometimes it's a roar. Sometimes the Lord has to hit us over the head. Was it apparent that you guys had to go to Atlanta to start church there?
2: Yes. For us, it was apparent. And we didn't believe it was Atlanta. We didn't want it to be Atlanta. We wanted Hmm. to be somewhere else. You know, to God spoke to us, he said, they deserve to see you living because they seen you in death. You know, so it, it, it was the gospel. It was the gospel in itself. The people that seeing Jesus die was the first people that seen him live. And that was live Atlanta because now you don't have to preach the gospel as much verbally. All you have to do is continue to live it visually. So people know us here. Like they know us. And they like, my guys look at me and they like, yo, God is real. <laughs> and I don't even say nothing. Hmm. I just, I just, I'm, I might see my guys out at dinner, see them at the mall, see them at a basketball game. And they, they got guys, they guys, and they see me with my kids and they see me with my wife and they, they feel and they like, yo, they text me later like, man, man, I'm gonna come check the church out because they see life. They see yeah. flourishing, human flourishment. Without us preaching to them, we're preaching to them. So it was evident that we start here. And our vision is for us to have other lives around the United States of America, you know, and I, we believe God did, you know, sit, you know, wants us to have other lives around the world, you know, because people, you know, deserve to live. But we had to start here where we died.
0: Now that you do have kids, is there, since you've been through so much, any kind of fear raising them, thinking, oh, no, what if they end up down that path, too?
2: Our kids are uh, canon and brave, both believe in Jesus. They're saved, you know, and they don't have, they don't have a male and mama Jesus. They have their own Jesus. Hmm. So I've done my job as a parent with my two. I've led them to the Lord. They have eternal life. And I'm going to raise them and put the values that I know inside of them. And they're going to make their own decisions. I, I'm I'm fully faithful. Whatever decision they make, it's going to be okay. If they make a bad decision, worst 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 case scenario with them, they wake up and see Jesus. Hmm. They're not mine. Worst yeah. case scenario, the worst. They wake up and see Jesus.
0: I love your story because you are also a you talk about generational curses and breaking the cycle. And that really does seem to be a huge part of your story about how God miraculously took you out of what could have been a very damaging, maybe even leading to death life cycle into life. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of taking a look at the community grew up in, are you able to see people breaking that cycle from the past into their future more and more?
2: I would say here in Atlanta, not yet. Like I want to, because we're 14 weeks in. You know, I see uh, right now, you know, we're praying God send us leaders. So God is sending us leaders that really don't have the pain and turmoil in their life because they've worked through it already. So we see them as he is as leaders and we see God transforming as leaders. But we haven't yet seen the broken people and walk with them years and say, yo, do you know how broken you used to be? So we haven't got there yet. But that's our hope. That's our hope to lock hands with someone. And man, three years from now, they don't staff at Lift. And we're looking at them like, yo, bro, do you know how you came in day one? Like, you mm-hmm. came in day one, bro. I smelt the Patron on your breath, bro. You smelt like the best weed in Atlanta. And now look at you. Like, I look forward to those stories. Yeah, I'm sorry if I'm getting like, but you know, like, I mean, I went to prison. I can't come and say, well, pharmaceutical, I can't do that. Like, it's some things that I can't do. So I'm <laughs> stuck. So, yeah. So, yeah, I wait for those stories. I wait for them, man. I wait for them. Oh dear.
1: We we talk about. Uh, I mean, you're you're somebody who's walked the walk and talked the talk. Uh, the highs and highs and the lows and lows. And again, that's why we we look for the encouragement um, through this uh, this why me project. And so we ask you in the hills and valleys of life, through your entire life, the ups and the downs. Can you think of a time where you are saying, God, why me? Why are you using me in this way? Or why am I having to go through this?
2: I never thought God through this. When I was in it, I never got—I never thought about why me, mm-hmm. why, like why I'm going through this. I knew that's what I was supposed to do. I was doing it. Like, why did he Like a, a drug dealer don't ask God, why did he get caught? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, like straight up. He go, <laughs> hey, he going for the bag. It ain't like he like, okay, man, man, Lord Jesus, I got caught. <laughs> why? He? So why I gotta me? Be real. <laughs> I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't ask that question. I didn't ask that question. But now, to receive the goodness of God mm. and to be able to do what I'm doing for Jesus, that's a question I ask all the time. Why me? And like, I ask it from goodness. Almost in timidity, like, man, Jesus, like, my wife, like, I shouldn't be in love with my wife. Like, I shouldn't have a real, authentic relationship. I shouldn't really love people like I do. Like, I should be dead. Why me? I should've got caught on that hill when I was doing that deal and those dudes was in the trees about to rob me and they didn't for some reason. But I hear two weeks later, I wasn't supposed to get out of there. Now I look back and I'm like, yo, why me? I didn't ask them why me then. I was like, yo, they scared of me. They knew. But like now, it's like, man. So it's like, yeah, it it, it yeah, it, it it's almost like a burden, man. It like, yeah, you know, I ask now. Every day, like, man. Why me? And I don't have a clear answer why me. But I do hear sometime. why not you? And there, and it's just a self-discovery process that I'm on. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know if the answer is good.
0: That's a good answer. It's your answer. There's no wrong answer. Yeah,
2: I, I don't know. You know, because you're an athlete, you played at Auburn, you got a cool story, and You like you're tall, you're dynamic, like you can talk, You like you're strong, you bench press 300. I don't know if the answer...
1: It's all things that I say about myself.
2: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Min- minus the bench pressing three hundred, and well, everything else after that too.
2: Yeah, I bet. yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, but it's a good question.
0: It's amazing how God can take um, what we feel sometimes is a mess and our just jumbled up lives, and just unravel it, and we can live such a full life.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's a he's he's a great father, man. He's a great, he's a great intentional loving father. And if anyone's going through something right now and they just, they feel, why me? And they at the bottom and not at the top. You know, I think God has them there to hear, I love you. 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 You know, um, and they get through it. And again, I try to embrace the apostle Paul. The worst thing that can happen if you are a believer, you wake up and see him.
1: That's good. Uh, love, integrity, influence, and victory. So, uh, live Atlanta at L-I-I-V-A-T-L on the Insta. Pastor Mayo, my friend, appreciate you taking some time and uh, sharing your heart today.
2: Thank you so much. We love you guys and pray for you. Whatever we can do, we're here. And God bless you guys. Let's live.
1: I really do love redemption stories. And I mean, maybe that's the reason why I I love, and I mean, Pastor Mayo had said it too, uh, Saul and Paul, because, you know, two different people, you just, you, you think you're supposed to be one way and then God turns you and, you know, changes your heart.
0: And it just gives me hope. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. God can take that situation and create a complete 180 story for you.
1: Yeah, And we've had so many conversations over the years of people who were so far one way and they're like, he's not with us. And No, no, no. He's with you every step of the way. That, I mean, it's like the footsteps in the sand and you go, well, what about that? Oh, that's where I was dragging you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, uh, Pastor Mayo, just a, a phenomenal guy. Uh, so appreciative of uh, those who have reached out to us saying, you got to talk to him and and continue to do so for this year. If there's somebody that we need to talk to, we need to have a conversation with, that's what we're hoping for is more people saying, talk to this person and talk to that person because we're going to try our hardest to be able to get those interviews, whether it's an artist or an athlete. And as we say, anybody and everybody
0: absolutely also um if you are looking for bite-sized pieces of our podcast you can check out mm. our youtube channel as we're trying to break it out so that you can have quick little snippets that will encourage you throughout your day or wherever you are
1: it's like we always say how do you eat an elephant
0: one bite at a time
1: no you've with a fork and a knife what's wrong with you holly Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting um, whether it is. Uh, and by the way, I looked at the numbers. A lot of uh, Apple Podcast listeners. We do have some mm. some Spotify folk. Yes. However, you are listening to the podcast. Thank you for that. And find us on all the socials. You were mentioning the YouTube. We're also on other platforms.
0: Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I think that's it. No. <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> yeah, that's about not, right.
1: Not not the TikTok. No and we we stopped asking jeeves a long time ago.
0: Yes. Cuz that's uh, when we started this whole social media thing, that in MySpace. <laughs>
1: oh. Oh lord. <laughs> Don't forget you can check out faithstrongtoday.com. <laughs>